Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. An hour ago, but I let him capture me without even a show of resistance. I was doomed to be the recipient of confidences and to be confronted with unanswerable questions. It was trying, but the contempt. The unreasoned contempt the man's appearance provoked made it easier to bear. He couldn't possibly matter. Nothing matters since I had made up my mind that Jim, for whom alone I cared, had at last mastered his fate. He told me he was satisfied. Nearly. This is going further than most of us dare. I, who have the right to think myself good enough, dare not. Neither does any of you here, I suppose. Marlowe paused as if expecting an answer. Nobody spoke. Quite right, he began again. Let no soul know, since the truth can be wrung out of us only by some cruel little awful catastrophe. But he is one of us, and he could say he was satisfied. Nearly. Just fancy this. Nearly satisfied. One could almost envy him his catastrophe. Nearly satisfied. After this, nothing could matter. It did not matter who suspected him, who trusted him, who loved him, who hated him. Especially as it was Cornelius who hated him. Yet after all, this was a kind of recognition. You shall judge of a man by his foes as well as by his friends, and this enemy of Jim was such as no decent man would be ashamed to own, without, however, making too much of him. Uh, this was the view Jim took, and in which I shared, but Jim disregarded him on general grounds. "'My dear Marlowe,' he said, "'I feel that if I go straight nothing can touch me. Indeed I do. Now you have been long enough here to have a good look round, and frankly, don't you think I am pretty safe?' It all depends upon me, and, by Jove, I have lots of confidence in myself. The worst thing he could do would be to kill me, I suppose. I don't think for a moment he would. He couldn't, you know. Not if I were myself to hand him a loaded rifle for the purpose, and then turn my back on him. That's the sort of thing he is. And suppose he would. Suppose he could. Well, what of that? I didn't come here flying for my life, did I? I came here to set my back against the wall, and I'm going to stay here. Till you are quite satisfied, I struck in. We were sitting at the time under the roof of the stern of his boat. Twenty paddles flashed like one, ten on a side, striking the water with a single splash, 
while behind our backs Tom Tom dipped silently right and left, and stared right down the river, attentive to keep the long canoe in the greatest strength of the current. Jim bowed his head, and our last talk seemed to flicker out for good. He was seeing me off as far as the mouth of the river. The schooner had left the day before, working down and drifting on the ebb, while I had prolonged my stay overnight. And now he was seeing me off. Jim had been a little angry with me for mentioning Cornelius at all. I had not, in truth, said much. The man was too insignificant to be dangerous, though he was as full of hate as he could hold. He had called me, "'Honourable sir,' at every second sentence, and had whined at my elbow as he followed me from the grave of his late wife to the gate of Jim's compound. He declared himself the most unhappy of men, a victim crushed like a worm. He entreated me to look at him. I wouldn't turn my head to do so, but I could see out of the corner of my eye his obsequious shadow gliding after mine, while the moon, suspended on our right hand, seemed to gloat serenely upon the spectacle. He tried to explain, as I have told you, his share in the events of the memorable night. It was a matter of expediency. How could he know who was going to get the upper hand? I would have saved him, honourable sir, I would have saved him for eighty dollars, he protested in dulcet tones, keeping a pace behind me. He has saved himself, I said, and he has forgiven you. I heard a sort of tittering, and turned upon him. At once he appeared ready to take to his heels. What are you laughing at? I asked, standing still. Don't be deceived, honourable sir, he shrieked, seemingly losing all control over his feelings. He save himself. He knows nothing, honourable sir. Nothing whatever. Who is he? What does he want here? the big thief. What does he want here? He throws dust into everybody's eyes. He throws dust into your eyes, honourable sir, but he cannot throw dust into my eyes. He is a big fool, honourable sir. I laughed contemptuously, and turning on my heel, began to walk on again. He ran up to my elbow and whispered forcibly, He's no more than a little child here, like a little child a little child. Of course, I didn't take the slightest notice, and seeing the time pressed because we were approaching the bamboo fence that glittered over the blackened ground of the clearing, he came to the point. He commenced by being abjectly lachrymose. His great misfortunes had affected his head. He hoped I would kindly forget what nothing but his troubles made him say— he didn't mean anything by it, only the Honourable Sir did not know what it was to be ruined, broken down, trampled upon. After this introduction he approached the matter near his heart, but in such a rambling, ejaculatory, craven fashion that for a long time I couldn't make out what he was driving at. He wanted me to intercede with Jim in his favour. It seemed, too, to be some sort of money affair. I heard time and time again the words, "'Moderate provision, suitable present.' He seemed to be claiming value for something, and he even went the length of saying with some warmth that life was not worth having if a man were to be robbed of everything. I did not breathe a word, of course, but neither did I stop my ears. 
The gist of the affair, which became clear to me gradually, was in this, that he regarded himself as entitled to some money in exchange for the girl. He had brought her up, somebody else's child, great trouble and pains, old man now, suitable present. If the honourable sir would say a word... I stood still to look at him with curiosity, and fearful lest I should think him extortionate, I suppose, he hastily brought himself to make a concession. In consideration of a suitable present given at once, he would, he declared, be willing to undertake the charge of the girl, without any other provision, when the time came for the gentleman to go home. His little yellow face, all crumpled as though it had been squeezed together, expressed the most anxious, eager advance. His voice whined coaxingly. "'No more trouble. Natural guardian. A sum of money.' I stood there and marvelled. That kind of thing with him was evidently a vocation. I discovered suddenly in his cringing attitude a sort of assurance, as though he had been all his life dealing in certitudes. He must have thought I was dispassionately considering his proposal, because he became as sweet as honey. "'Every gentleman made a provision when the time came to go home,' he began insinuatingly. I slammed the little gate. "'In this case, Mr. Cornelius,' I said, "'the time will never come.' He took a few seconds to gather this in. "'What?' he fairly squealed. "'Why,' I continued from my side of the gate, "'haven't you heard him say so himself? "'He will never go home.' "'Oh, this is too much!' he shouted. "'He would not address me as honoured sir any more. "'He was very still for a time, "'and then without a trace of humility began very low. "'Never go. "'Ah, he, he, he comes here, the devil knows from where. "'Comes here, devil knows why.' to trample on me, till I die. Ah, trample! He stamped softly with both feet. Trample like this. Nobody knows why, till I die. His voice became quite extinct. He was bothered by a little cough. He came up close to the fence and told me, dropping into a confidential and piteous tone, that he would not be trampled upon. Patience! Patience! He muttered, striking his breast. I had done laughing at him, but unexpectedly he treated me to a wild, cracked burst of it. Ha! <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. What? Steal from me? Steal from me everything? 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 His head dropped on one shoulder. His hands were hanging before him, lightly clasped. One would have thought he had cherished the girl with surpassing love that his spirit had been crushed and his heart broken by the most cruel of spoliations. Suddenly he lifted his head and shot out an infamous word. Like her mother. She is like her deceitful mother. Exactly. In her face, too. In her face. The devil. He leaned his forehead against the fence, and in that position uttered threats and horrible blasphemies in Portuguese in very weak ejaculations mingled with miserable plaints and groans, coming out with a heave of the shoulders as though he had been overtaken by a deadly fit of sickness. 
It was an inexpressibly grotesque and vile performance, and I hastened away. He tried to shout something after me, some disparagement of Jim, I believe. Not too loud, though. We were too near the house. All I heard distinctly was, No more than a little child. A little child. End of chapters 33 and 34